want to invite you to have a seat. As you uh, are having that seat, I want to dismiss Hubtown Kids. So if you're uh, ages three to five, you're going to be in the blue station. You can make a mad dash over here. We are offering up as a sacrifice a Mr. Chuck and Miss Paula. They're going to be teaching our children some review today in the blue station. And then if you're ages uh, six all the way up to fifth grade, uh, you can exit in gray station this way. And again, they're also going to be learning a little bit uh, of review. Oh, here is our December review. God is merciful, gracious, and loving. Merciful, gracious, and loving. We've regularly encouraged you to do this, but I want to challenge you to have a part in the teaching, the training, the raising up of our children. And so uh, you, you see what they're learning. This would be a great thing to ask uh, what some of our kids uh, tonight, tomorrow, throughout the, throughout the week, maybe as your life group has a Christmas party or you run into a, a family there on the, on the street doing some last-minute Christmas shopping. None of us would be doing that. Uh, whatever it is, hey, and, and, and get involved in the discipling of our children. Remind them that God is merciful, gracious, and even loving. If you're here for the first time, I just want to take a moment and say I'm so grateful that you're here. And for those of you that this isn't your first time, I'm also grateful that you are here. It really is a joy to, to gather on a Sunday morning and not sing a Christmas carol by myself. Uh, although I've done it before, I'm sure that you wouldn't mind it too bad. It's great to be singing uh, with God's people assembled on the Lord's Day. Christmas is a time, regardless of who you are, where you are, where you've come from, where you're going, it's a time that's marked with waiting. It always has been. Even when you were like six years old and you were waiting for that one gift. You remember that day. That whole season, you remember you were beginning to count down, you know, how many days is it? How many sleeps is it till Christmas? And you had made it very clear this is what you want. And the peculiar package that you uh, saw under the, the, the tree, you thought that's certainly the one that I've been asking for and waiting for. And, and if your family was like my family, you waited so long for Christmas, but then Christmas Eve would come and you knew at nighttime that mom was going to let you have a little taste of the presents. You were going to get to open one present. Anybody here have that tradition? They can open one present on Christmas Eve. It's a terrible tradition. Uh, really, there, the, there should be some repentance today because the child thinks, oh, maybe it'll be that thing I was wanting, that big thing. Maybe it's that bicycle or, or, or maybe it's that game station that I was really, really asking for and hoping that I would get. And you are handed that package and you think, well, this, this can't be the bicycle, but it's probably still something really great. And you tear into it and it's a toothbrush. <laughs> or maybe it's a pack of socks. And I do confess that I am an ungrateful, great, ungrateful person. But we all know the feeling. You've waited so long for something, and you get that first little bit, and you think, I just wish it was a little bit more than that. Well, that's something that we've experienced, and certainly it's something that human beings have experienced for all of time. And particularly in view here is a person by the name of Abraham. Abraham, he's the father of faith. He's the father of the Jewish people. He's the father of even us today as we are a people of faith. And he was a person of faith as well. And so we've been exploring where Advent, where Christmas time, where that intersects with Abraham. And today we find ourselves asking that question as we look at Genesis 21. Genesis 21. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn there. Again, Genesis is, uh, literally means beginnings or book of beginnings. And so it's the, the first book in the Bible. And then just look there uh, 
for the large 21. We're going to be on page 18 in the hard black Bible in front of you, so you're welcome to open that up and use that this morning. Additionally, it'll be on the screen. Sometimes it's nice to just have the Word of God in your hands yourself so that you can see and read it. Let me give you a little bit of background for 21. Chapter 21 in the book of Genesis, it is largely focusing on the birth of Isaac. The birth of Isaac. It's the long-awaited son of Abraham and Sarah. And Sarah, up until this time, was barren. But here in chapter 21, she miraculously conceives and gives birth to Isaac, even as an older lady. Notice I didn't say old lady. She begin, uh, God begins in, in Sarah to fulfill his promise that he made to Abraham, that he would make him a great nation and father of many nations. That through him and his descendants, they would not only possess the land, but that they would be a blessing to all people, including people in the 21st century on this side of the globe. Beginning is taking place here. But this chapter also describes the tension that is between Sarah and Hagar. Sarah is... Uh, Abraham's wife, and Hagar is uh, uh, Abraham's handmaid, servant. And Hagar is the mother of Ishmael, and Sarah is the mother of Isaac. But as God promised, Isaac's birth marks a pivotal moment in the unfolding of the, the, really the narrative of God's covenant with Abraham and the establishment of the line through which the Messiah, or Jesus, would come. And so that's really the background here. God has promised Abraham for a long time that he's going to have a son. And now we see the fulfillment. And so Genesis 21, we'll read verses 1 to 14. This is the word of God. It says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Notice she leaves out her old age. Verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. And so she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of a slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to do, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also. Because he is your offspring. And so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Let's ask God to bless the reading of his word together. 
Father, we just pause and we ask that you would use this word today to encourage us, to instruct us, to challenge us, and God, even more than those things, to draw us in and cause us to celebrate and to exalt in Jesus, the one through whom all of the promises that you have made will be fulfilled. This is our prayer. We actually pray this prayer in his name. Amen. Church, if you want that to be true, would you say amen too? The title of this sermon this morning is Celebrate. Celebrate. You may be asking, well, what are we celebrating? Are we celebrating time with family? Are we celebrating the arrival of Santa? Certainly we have many things to celebrate this morning, but really what Christians celebrate and what the, this text is calling us to celebrate is this. It's the main idea. Jesus, the promised child, has come. And all of God's promises to us will be fulfilled through him. Jesus, the promised child, has come. And all of God's promises to us will be fulfilled through him. If you're writing that down, underline the word through. All of the promises of God will be true in Jesus. And that's something worth celebrating. If you're new to this idea of Christianity Really, even the true meaning of Advent or Christianity, you've heard that word, the, the reason for the season. Maybe that's new for you. Well, know this, that Christmas is a time where historically we have understood this to be true. It's a time of celebration, recognizing that God has come. He has sent his son in the person of Jesus Christ, who, as we sang a moment ago, took on flesh and allowed us to behold his glory. And that is, in fact, worth celebrating. There'll be three parts of the sermon today. Really, the first part is a call for all of us simply to celebrate. But then there'll be a time that we'll enter into toward the middle, and that will be a warning for us, a caution. And finally, there'll be a time for the discouraged, for the discouraged so first, a word for all of us, regardless of where we're at, the first word is to celebrate. Let's celebrate. Look at verse 21, or I'm sorry, chapter 21, verse 1. Notice a few things. And by the way, if, you, if that's your Bible, you want to write in it, I encourage you to do that. Some people think that that's a terrible thing to do. I, I don't. I encourage you to mark in your, in your copy there. Look at verse 1, though. It says, the Lord visited Sarah, and I want you to underline the next four words, as he had said. That sounds like something worth celebrating. As he had said. Keep reading though. It says, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Underline those four words as well. As he had said, as he had promised. He did those things. Look at verse 2 then. It says, And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, and underline this phrase, at the time of which God had spoken to him. And then we'll read down to verse 4. It says, And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Underline those five words. As God had commanded him. Remember the context here. God had been making visits to Abraham and 
telling him more and more about the promise that he had in store for him. Each time he visited him, giving him a little bit more to understand about the promise and a little bit more of the details. And yet that time was still marked with waiting and wondering and temptation to doubt and to not have faith, to lose heart. And finally here, the Lord, he visited Sarah as he had said. I love that word visited, by the way. He came to her. He's visited us as well. And it says, the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. He truly opened her womb and allowed her to conceive a child, just as he had promised. And more than that, at the time, he said, this time next year, you'll have a son. And that's exactly what took place. And what does Abraham do? He he goes and circumcised his son as God had commanded him. What is there to celebrate? Well, we can celebrate that God has done exactly what he has said. Not to belittle the politicians or even our family members or maybe our fathers who meant well but didn't come through. Making promises, many people in our lives making promises that they aren't able to do, don't even intend to fulfill. And yet with God we see here, we can celebrate because God does exactly what he says. He visits his people. These four statements here that we've underlined, they all emphasize the covenant faithfulness of God. And furthermore, that final one is there a testimony that as Abraham circumcised his son, that he's saying that's a testimony. He's marking his descendants that he truly believed that everything that God promised would come true and that it would come through, come true through Isaac. Not only was the circumcision a sign of obedience and faith, but, and here's the fun part, so was that big, great party that he threw. Did you catch that? Christians, people of faith, should be people who party. They should be people who celebrate. Abraham made a feast for Isaac when he was weaned. We might say, well, what does that even mean to be weaned? Well, he's no longer needing his mother to live, not receiving nutrition from her breast. He's able to eat on his own, and that's a big day. Isaac is now eating solid foods, and so this is his first feast. Abraham throws a big party, almost like a birthday party, celebrating the fact that he's past this age, this time of high mortality. He's able to sort of stand on his own two feet and hold that spoon or or bring that rice to his mouth all by himself. This is a big day. This feast is another step of Abraham celebrating, believing, exercising faith in God's promises that he had made to him. And Abraham is to be our example. He's our spiritual father here in a sense. It's a good thing. It is a right thing for us to emulate him. And we see he doesn't just make a feast on this day. Feast already means great. It already means big. Many of us will have meals today. We've had meals this week. And yet we wouldn't, maybe most of them, call them feasts. Because a feast is a big deal. And on top of this, Abraham throws a great, big feast. What is he doing? Well, he's celebrating. You might be asking, well, what 
What do we see here? We see Abraham celebrating the, 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 the coming of age and some sense of his son Isaac. And what do we have to celebrate today? Well, Abraham is celebrating that God visited him, visited his wife even so. Christmas is a time that we celebrate God visiting us also in Christ. And so we are to celebrate. The promises of God made to Abraham, remember, are not just Abraham's, but we've looked at this. They're ours as well. As descendants by faith of Abraham, we too can celebrate the coming of Jesus like Abraham celebrated the coming of Isaac. Furthermore, when Abraham looked at his son Isaac, do you know what he saw? He saw Jesus. The scriptures say that Jesus is speaking, and Jesus says there in the first century, I want you to know something about our father. He's speaking to the Jews. He said, I want you to know something about our father Abraham. He saw me, and he rejoiced. When did Abraham see Jesus. Well, he saw him in Isaac because Isaac would be the fulfillment of that promise. Jesus would come through that line. Romans 15, verse 8, we've looked at it several times in this last few weeks in this Advent season. Remember what it says there on the screen. Romans 15, verse 8, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, patriarchs referring back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And why did he do that? Why was he faithful? Why was he demonstrating truthfulness, Christ becoming a servant to the Jews? Why did he do that? It says in verse 9, in order that the Gentiles, that's you and me, might glorify God for his mercy. Glorify God for his mercy. Why did Jesus do what he did at Christmas time? Why did he come? Why did he live that perfect life? Why did he die on that cross? Why was he rose or resurrected? Why, was he, why did he ascend into heaven? He did that so that we could glorify God for his mercy, so that we could be visited by God, God and sinners reconciled. That's worth celebrating this morning. It's so beautiful. Abraham celebrates when he sees Jesus through Isaac. But what does Mary do? You probably, many of us don't, probably didn't catch it, but we sang part of Mary's song the, just a moment ago, the song that Mary sang when she realized that she was going to give birth to this promised one that would come through Isaac. What did she say in Luke chapter 1? This is beautiful. This might be a good uh, passage of scripture to read together as a family and to think about sometime today or tomorrow. Luke chapter one, verses 46 and following, it says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. To magnify the Lord means to make a big deal about her spirit rejoicing, it sounds like her heart is full of that word merry and bright, right? Her spirit is rejoicing. This is celebration language. What is she celebrating? Look at verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, she says. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who has mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. 
This is what she's celebrating. But that's particularly for her and the role that she would play in bringing in the Messiah into this existence that we enjoy now. But what about for us? Well, that's in verse 50. She's celebrating that as well. She also speaks about what we should celebrate. Verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Notice it says, his, not, it doesn't say his mercy is for those who are perfect. It doesn't say his mercy is for those who have never sinned. That doesn't make any sense. Why would somebody who has never sinned need mercy? That's not what it's for. That's not what it's indicating. It's saying those who fear him, those who humble themselves before God, that, those are the ones who receive his mercy. Look at verse 51. That's worth celebrating enough. But look at 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has shown strength with his arm. God has flexed. And who has he flexed against? Not those who humble themselves, but he has stretched his strong arm out against those who in their arrogance and pride rise up against God and reject him. But for those who in their humility and in their brokenness and in their sin turn to God for mercy, his strong arm does not cast them aside, but it draws them in. Verse 52 says, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. This is something worth singing about. Christmas is a time where we recognize that so many of us are hungry. Hungry for a variety of things. And not just milk and cookies and ham and all the fixings hungry for family, hungry for love, hungry for acceptance. And all of these things have been offered in Christ. Literally, we sang just a moment ago that we long for the expected Jesus to come. Why? Because he's born to set us free. And so many of us here today recognize that we have walked for some time in bondage, unable to do this or that, unable to experience freedom from the things that are holding us down, drawing us deeper into darkness. We want to be free, and the Scriptures say that Jesus has done just that. We sang that Jesus is the hope of all the earth. He's the desire of every nation, and that he's the joy of every longing heart. We sang that, and Mary has sang that as well. Verse 54 it says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary was celebrating when she heard about the coming of Jesus. Abraham was celebrating when he heard and saw the coming of Isaac and by it realized the coming of Jesus. And so they celebrated. The question is, will you celebrate this morning? Maybe a better question to ask first is, what are you celebrating today? What are you celebrating in this Christmas season? We've talked about this. We've explored this at, uh, at length in the last few weeks. The world is calling us to celebrate so many things that have expiration dates, so many things that are here today and gone tomorrow. 
And yet Christmas is not a season for us celebrating things that go to landfills and yard sales. But it's a time where we truly celebrate the birth of Jesus, the promise of God fulfilled. And when I say celebrate, I really mean celebrate. And I know that I'm a Baptist pastor here in a Baptist church. Maybe some of you are like the old Baptist who once wrote, we enjoyed a celebration once. It was awful. (laughs) Are we to let our brothers and sisters at the Bridge of Life Church have all the fun (laughs) and all of the celebration Church, let me encourage you, brothers, friends, it is okay, not only okay, it is right and it is good for us to celebrate. The word Mary that we love so much and some of you enjoy to wear on your green sweater written in red this season, know that that is not a culturally normal word. That is a Christian word. We are Mary because of what God has promised to us is fulfilled in Christ. And so I hope that you celebrate. I hope you celebrate like Abraham. I hope you have a great feast. And I hope you sing loudly and beautifully like Mary this season. I hope you feel freedom to do that. I hope you hear the invitation to celebrate what God has done at this time. And maybe you're saying, I don't really, this is the first time I've heard about this sort of thing to celebrate. Well, I want you to know this isn't just a thing for Abraham and for Mary and some stuffy Baptists here in Hagerstown to celebrate. No, it is a thing that God has given and said to all who would receive him, to all who would come to Jesus and receive him. Humbly, they too can receive this gift and celebrate what we celebrate now. At the end of our time together this morning, we will celebrate. We'll respond. The the song that we sing at the end of the service really is a response song. And the response song today will be to celebrate. And so we will celebrate. We'll sing together. Like Mary and Abraham, we'll sing hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Praise God. I have Jesus. And after that, we'll sing praise God from whom all blessings flow. And sometimes when we sing that, we do sing it loudly, but sometimes when we sing it, we sort of sing it like we don't believe it. But we have so many things to celebrate, so many things fulfilled in Jesus, and we'll end this service by saying praise God from whom all blessings flow and flow through Jesus to us. And so even though we are a loud singing church, I want to ask you, I'm going to challenge you right now. Get ready, because we're going to sing even louder today at the end of this. Maybe even so Bridge of Life can hear us. We have something to celebrate, and we'll do it again tonight. We'll double dip on Christmas Eve. Why? Because we have a lot to celebrate. And so we'll pass around candles. We'll try not to catch the lady in front of us, her hair on fire. We'll sing Silent Night, O Holy Night. Why? We'll leave here merry. In darkness, we will go with brightness. Why? Because we have so much to celebrate. And even as we conclude the services today, we'll begin tomorrow. Many of us gathering with family and friends and maybe even just reflecting on Christmas's past. And in those moments, we realize and we are to be challenged that we have something to celebrate. And it's not a new gift It's an old gift. It's not a new outfit. It's a set of clothes, righteousness, that we were provided with a long time ago in the coming of Jesus Christ.
we have something to celebrate. And so that's a message for all. If you have been celebrating, celebrate more. Celebrate louder. Sing more beautifully. Be merry and bright. And if you've never heard of this, you can begin today. This message to celebrate, this call is for all of us. But I want to speak to a few of us this morning. And here's really the warning. Here's the caution. As you celebrate, I want you to remember that not everyone will be celebrating with us. When we say Merry Christmas, and we mean God has come, he has put on flesh, he's conquered death and hell and sin forevermore. That's what we mean when we say Merry Christmas. But other people, when they say Merry Christmas, they don't mean that. And as we celebrate, sometimes it's difficult for us to know how to act towards people who aren't celebrating just like us. And that's why this, this story is really a helpful story for us. You see, this story, through in stories like this, it's almost like we're looking into a mirror. And we're able to spot things in ourselves that we see in these people, in these stories, and it helps us to address them. Let me point you to what I'm speaking of. As you read this story, is anybody cringing as they hear what Sarah does? Anybody else cringe? Here she's received this gift that God's promised her, which is a type, a shadow, a picture of Jesus Christ, the promise of Jesus she's literally holding, celebrating, and she looks over and somebody's not celebrating, and so what does she do? Is she angry? She becomes vindictive, unforgiving, and demands that her husband basically serve a death sentence to Ishmael and to Hagar. None of us admire Sarah as we read this story, and yet we should all be cautioned by it, every one of us. And so the second point, second to first, celebrate. The second point is celebrate without being vindictive. Christians, we are to celebrate without being vindictive. What do I mean by vindictive? Well, it basically means to, to, to desire revenge, to be unforgiving, to act maliciously towards somebody, both passively or, or passive-aggressively or just passively. Sarah here is demanding that these two be left for dead in the wilderness. And Sarah's desire to send them away, really, it stems from personal conflicts. Right? It doesn't stem from a righteous position. She's not standing where God is standing, saying what God is saying. And there certainly is a part of God's message that says, depart from me, ye who work iniquity. But that's not the case here. Sarah is not pushing Ishmael and Hagar out because they've sinned against God. She's pushing them out because they've sinned against her. And she hates them. And as she celebrates, she's being vindictive. What was their crime? Well, if we just take it at face value here, Ishmael laughs at Isaac. Oh, good job, little buddy. You're being weaned today. Maybe he mocks him. Is that really worth being cast out and receiving a death sentence? It's interesting here that Ishmael laughs here in chapter 21. But just a few chapters before that, we read that Sarah laughed. Sarah laughed too. She laughed at the promise. Isaac is the promise. And Ishmael laughs. But Sarah laughed at the promise of Isaac not long before. 
And yet, what did she receive for her laughing? She received a pardon of sorts. God was merciful to her. And he continued to fulfill the promise that he had made to them, to give her a son. And so now as she holds the promise in a sense, a picture of the gospel, she, with vindication and malice in her heart, as she holds the gospel, she sends somebody away to their death. And I've told you, this is a difficult passage for me because as I read this, it's as if I'm looking into a mirror. And as I see what Sarah is doing, I see what I have done. I've done the same thing. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you've done the same thing. Maybe you've embraced the gospel and at the same time acted against the gospel to somebody else. You enjoyed the gospel, but you didn't convey the gospel. You imbibed the gospel, but you didn't embody the gospel. There's a call for us. There's a caution here that we not do this. And there's a call for us, if we have done that, to repent. Not only had Sarah laughed at the situation before, but it was also Sarah who had the idea to give Hagar to Abraham anyway. That was her idea. It wasn't God's idea. It wasn't Abraham's idea. And by the way, we could get caught up in the strangeness of all the relationships here. Let's bear in mind, this is a, quite a long time ago. Culturally, quite a different time and place. But now, after this was her idea to give her handmaid to Abraham so that he could raise up children to potentially fulfill the promise of God through Hagar and not through Sarah, now that she's received her promise... Now she's being vindictive. And so again, here's a caution for us. Her celebration of Isaac's birth, it's clouded by the presence of Hagar and Ishmael. She wanted them gone. Not realizing that her celebration of the promises of God could actually coexist and she could hold both at the same time, compassion and celebration. She could not only enjoy this gift, but she could also give this gift. And I know that I'm not the only one and Sarah is not the only one to struggle with this. Each of us, especially at Christmas time, especially when we're around our family, our extended family, we, we run into situations like this. Situations that are, where our, our, our joy is threatened by bitterness. And all we can see in the midst of these Christmas carols and Christmas ham is these Christmas hurts that others have committed against us. But I love God's perspective here. I love what God says to Abraham. He says, Abraham, Sarah is, is wanting to push Hagar and Ishmael out into the wilderness to die, and I want you to do something. I want you to let them go out into the wilderness, but they're not going to die. So, see, sometimes we push people away so that they can be hurt, but God has other plans. What's so beautiful here is, and this is a great reminder for all of us, while Sarah does not want Ishmael and his descendants to be a part of this promise that God will fulfill to Abraham through Isaac and to his descendants, what's so beautiful is that Ishmael does become a great nation, and he is a part of the Gentiles, of which I and likely most of you are a part, ethnically. We're not Jews. We're not the seed of Abraham, the seed of Isaac by our DNA. But what's so beautiful, and we've looked at this over the last few weeks, 
is that many of Ishmael's descendants, even today, are coming in to be a part of this great family of faith. And instead of being pushed away, they're being brought in. And so how are we to act towards those who are not celebrating at this point in time what we are celebrating? Are we to push them away? Are we to be vindictive? No, as we celebrate, we invite others in. And some may receive that invitation, others not. And yet we still not only enjoy this good news that we can be forgiven, but we embody that. It doesn't just flow into us, it flows out of us. And so church, friends, we've got to be careful that as we celebrate, we don't also become vindictive. Now, Abraham and Sarah, they're able to celebrate after receiving only a part of the promise that God had given to them. Only a part. And this is the portion for the discouraged this morning. And the reality is, it might just be more than a few of us this morning. There might be a, quite a few of us this morning that are discouraged. And so it's helpful for us to remember this, that we're not just to celebrate, we're not just to celebrate without being vindictive, but we are to celebrate even a partial fulfillment. We're to celebrate even a partial fulfillment. I want you to think just briefly about all the things that Abraham had been promised. He was supposed to have, God said, Abraham, come out of your tent. A few, just a few chapters ago, come out of your tent, Abraham. I want you to look at the sky. See how dark it is, but how bright it is? See how it's lit by all these stars? Your descendants will be greater than the number of the stars. You can't even count those stars. People won't be able to count your descendants. God told Abraham that. And then he said, okay, here's your people, but I'm not going to put them in the sky. I'm actually going to put them on the earth. They're going to have a place. And where would we put this many people? Well, you, if you have descendants this great, you're going to need a place that is great to put them. I'm going to give you all of this land. Everything that you can see right now, Abraham, that's going to be yours. Your people, your descendants will live here. And furthermore, this is going to be so incredible. Every single person in the world essentially will be affected by you. Every family, every tribe, every language, they're going to be affected by your family, by the, your descendants. That's a, a, prophecy, a, pro, a prophecy about Jesus and the gospel, the good news that we celebrate now at Christmas. But you know what Abraham had when he died? Do you know what he owned? Do you know how many children he had when he died? One. He had one son in Isaac, Ishmael as well, him aside, for the, uh, the son of the promise, one son. How much property did he own? Very little. He didn't technically even own the wells that he dug. The only place that Abraham really owned from, by my count, is the place where he buried his wife. That's it. And yet in this day, Having only one son, years after the initial promise is given, what does Abraham do? He throws a party. He throws a party, having only a part of the promise. No kings, no nations, no blessings to all, not yet. And still he throws a great feast. Why? Because he believed that all of God's promises to him would be fulfilled through Isaac. In essence, he's saying, hey, I've got the son of the promise. 
And while I have not seen with my own eyes all the things that will be fulfilled through him, I believe that this is all I need. This is the fulfillment of your promise for me. Christians, we await so many of the the promises of God to Abraham, to us. We're waiting for them right now. And maybe we're asking the question, is it really time to celebrate? We're doing this whole thing again. Christmas is back again. Man, how many of you think it kind of snuck up on us this year? Anybody else? No, just me. It did. It snuck up on us. Here we are again celebrating Christmas. Why are we doing that? We still didn't get everything that was promised and celebrated last year. Why are we here again? Because we as Christians, like Abraham, are saying, we have Jesus and all of God's promises are true in Jesus. And we can celebrate that right now. And that's the main idea, right? Jesus, the promised child, has come. And all of God's promises to us will be fulfilled through him. Abraham only had Isaac. Christian today, we only have Jesus. That's all we have. Abraham believed that all the promises would be fulfilled through him. And Isaac is, again, he's a shadow of Jesus Christ. As time is pictured in our minds, we think there's a shadow in the day of Abraham so many thousands of years ago. And where is that shadow, that, that image that we could only see a part and a glimmer of this person? Who is the actual person? Well, 2,000 years ago, Jesus cast a shadow 4,000 years back to Abraham. He's a type of Christ. He's a shadow of Christ. And is, is it not the same for us today? That is, Abraham celebrates really a shadow of Jesus, a picture of Jesus, and says, this is all I need. This is all I have. It's, but we're going to throw a party. It's the same for us. All the world may look at us and say, all they have is Jesus. They don't have wealth. Many of them don't have health. Very little hope in this life for some of them, and yet they're so happy. They sing so loudly and beautifully. They celebrate the little that they have. Why? Because we as Christians say, you're right, we don't have very much, but we have everything we need. All the promises of God are ours today in Jesus. Remember what we've heard. Everything minus Jesus equals nothing. And that's hard to believe when you're wanting a set of Nikes for Christmas, right? But everything minus Jesus equals nothing. You could have the entire world, but if you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. And the opposite of that is true. Nothing plus Jesus is everything. It's literally everything. This week I was meditating. Actually, a few of us here in the office were meditating on this a particular writing by a man by the name of Dane Ortland, And speaking of Jesus Christ, he says this, and I'll, I'll read this quote for you. It's so powerful. Do you realize, he says, of Jesus, that what is true of you if you are in Christ? Do you realize it? 
Those in union with him are promised that all the haunted brokenness that infects everything, every relationship, every conversation, every family, every email, every awakening to consciousness in the morning, every job, every vacation, everything will one day be rewound and reversed in Christ. He says, the more darkness and pain we experience in this life, the more resplendence and relief in the next. And he quotes this from C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce. He says, that is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some, some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained in Christ, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. If you are in Christ, you have been eternally invincibilized. This passage speaks of God making alive dead people, not assisting injured people. And how does God make us alive? He loves life into us through the person of Jesus Christ. Some of us today, and I don't mean to say, hey, turn that, that frown upside down. But some of you really don't feel like celebrating today. And I'm not one for encouraging people to fake a smile when your heart is threatening to burst in pain. But I want you to know something. I want you to see something today in Jesus that we can celebrate because this world and everything that we experience, even the difficulties that we're facing in this moment right now, will one day be turned backwards and even those agonies will be turned into glories. How can that be? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through the life of our Lord and Savior. And it's his life that is in us that we celebrate right now. That though we walk in pain, though we walk through grief, Though we walk through fear, one day everything that is sad in Jesus will become untrue and cease to exist. This Christmas season, we've got to remember that this world is momentary. We've got to be aware that we're prone to hope on things with expiration dates. All the things of this world are passing away, but Jesus never will. And through him, he is making all things new. Friends, before we close, I just want to call you to remember this, that our celebration doesn't just take place in this sanctuary. It doesn't just take place when we sing songs and listen to sermons and read the, 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 the Luke 2 account or sing the Luke 1 song of Mary. That's, it's more than what takes place in here. We can celebrate outside of the sanctuary. We can celebrate as we gather with loved ones. We can celebrate as we sit quietly alone and meditate on the goodness of God in the face of Christ. We can celebrate the tangible gifts, but we can also celebrate the intangible gifts of grace that we have in Jesus Christ. I want to call you to let your celebration echo the song of Mary, who magnified the Lord for his mercy. I hope that's the, the anthem of your heart today and throughout this season. And as we stand on the threshold of a new year, I want to challenge you to celebrate the life of Jesus in every aspect of your life. Why? Because in him, all the promises find their yes 
and amen. All of them. Let's pray in his name. Father, we celebrate this morning. We truly do. We celebrate that you have been so merciful to us. We sing along with Mary now. We sing along with Abraham that all we have is Christ and that is more than we could ever need. It's more than we could ever dream. It's more than all of our desires and the sum of them. They're answered in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we love you. We celebrate that. We pray that many more, even today, in Hagerstown, that many people would call on you in this season. We pray in your name. Amen. Church, I told you I was going to challenge you to celebrate. And so we're going to respond to what we've just heard. We're going to respond to this song in worship with celebration. And so